Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're listening to the podcast of Alive and Kicking, which is broadcast on News Talk on Sunday mornings. Coming up, Dr. Mark Rowe and I go forest bathing in Waterford and discuss the power of getting out in nature. We'll meet an exhausted mom who has a baby who doesn't seem to like sleep and we'll hook her up with baby sleep expert Heather Dent, also known as the Lullaby Lady. And Jennifer Carroll will join me to talk about the health and life changes that have led to a massive social media following and now her book, Jen's Journey. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'd like to say I'm full of the joys of spring and certainly it does feel better to have the brighter mornings and evenings, but I still feel rather overwhelmed as the days and weeks fly by. I'm sure it's the same for many of you listening. Work, family, trying to do it all. But I've really begun to look at how I can declutter my life. Working smarter rather than harder has become my new mantra. Avoiding being a busy fool, which I think sometimes we can all be. So I'm beginning to really assess where my energy is going and why. And I think me and the word no are going to have to become better friends. So that has been the focus this week. The clocks went forward at 1am this morning. So essentially you have lost an hour in bed today, but... The payoff is that we get brighter mornings and brighter evenings too. And all I'll say is thank God for smartphones updating themselves, saving us days of confusion and fear. And I read an article in the Irish Times this week about Irish people being exhausted and finding it difficult to get back to the demands of life after we've experienced lockdown, which of course brought its own issues. But Know that if you're feeling burnout, directionless and much more negative, you are not alone because lots of people that took part in this behaviour and attitude survey said that this was the way they were feeling. And perhaps this extra brightness will help encourage all of us to get out in nature a little bit more because there are so many health benefits to getting out, to moving our bodies, even for as short a time as 10 minutes. Um And it being in nature boosts all of those benefits. And I was in Waterford recently and met with GP and lifestyle medicine practitioner, Dr. Mark Rowe, who has been on the show many times. We met at Mount Congreve House and Gardens, which has recently been refurbished and is open to the public. It is a favourite spot of Mark's. And as we took in the beauty, I've actually never seen magnolia trees like the ones I saw that day. We discussed why it is so good for us to get out in nature. So Mark, I've come to your neck of the woods, your county of Waterford, and these gardens are a very special place to you. Oh, the Mount Congreve Gardens must be one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I got to work with Ray Sinnott, who's the manager here, and I began to prescribe green exercise prescriptions a number of years ago to support people who were feeling stressed or anxious as a viable alternative to uh, medication which also enabled people to not just de-stress in a wonderful, relaxing, natural environment, but to boost their mood, to feel more creative. And, you know, there's such interesting research, Claire, that shows that spending time in nature, at least two hours over the entire week, not only boosts your well-being, it can lower feelings of stress, anxiety and depression, build empathy, calm, connection, make you feel not just more nicer to other people, but nicer to yourself by quieting the inner critic that's always on that merry-go-mind of anxious negative thoughts brilliant research from from japan has shown that spending time in nature lowers your blood pressure lowers your stress hormone cortisol and you know 
can reduce your risk of a whole range of chronic adverse health conditions. So it's a wonderful way to not just boost um, your health span, the number of years that you remain healthy, but to improve your subjective experience in the moment, enabling you to feel more creative, feel more calm, be more present. And we don't talk about going for a walk in that way. The message has got skewed that you're getting out to lose weight, get fit, Mm. get healthy. And it just, you can understand why some people after a busy work day or a busy family week or, you know, they just choose the couch because life is, is busy, but they forget about the other ways you can recharge your batteries by getting outside. We live in a world where so many people are really suffering from toxic stress and there's real issues out there. So it's never been more important, in my opinion, to learn to take good care of yourself, to really work actively on recharging from all the stresses of everyday life. And if you look at all the the philosophers down through the ages, uh, from Einstein to Wordsworth, all the great poets, they all walked a lot. They all spent a lot of time in nature. It's a great place to be. The great thing about being out in nature, it's, it's generally free doesn't cost anything only a small investment of your time and it's all starts with awareness it's it's awareness of the importance to take care of yourself especially when you feel you don't need to because stress can creep up on all of us and we all have a tipping point and none of us is immune from burnout none of us is immune from the really toxic impacts that stress can have on us in everyday life so spending time in nature is a wonderful way to de-stress and to really recharge in a way that um, you know is very very sustainable as well and I suppose we can all be crisis meditators or when when the Mm. chips are down that's when we start reaching for that tool bag and you know that is the right thing to do to know what fills you back up but if you're doing it on a regular basis you keep those crisis moments at bay or you can handle them a little bit better as they come you're absolutely right Claire and I, I see it as like building up a sort of a bank account of resilience, a bank account of positivity that can support you when you need it most. So it's these small little micro moments throughout your day or throughout your week, it's these small little micro mini investments. It might be that little walk by your greenway this evening. It might be that positive conversation you have with a friend, that great cup of coffee. It might be a little gratitude practice that you keep. Uh, it might be choosing to go to bed an hour earlier tonight. Whatever it is, those small little investments in your well-being day in and day out can make a big difference to how you feel to how you think um, to your ability to recharge from stress and to your health span and are there tips on how to do it because i do see people out pounding the pavements and, and look that's great they are getting away they are getting out they are boosting their their heart rate and all of that is is fantastic but do we need to take the headphones out the sunglasses off and sometimes be alone and be still in nature. Stillness is wonderful. Um, you know, stillness, silence, solitude, security, simplicity, sophistication, serenity. I mean, it's really the, it's the ultimate sophistication is to be still in nature. You know, movement is medicine. Getting out and walking is wonderful. It's great to move. Getting up off the couch for as little as 10 minutes will change your emotional state. But the benefits of, of, of moving in nature are exponentially better. Fascinating research done in Stanford University looked at people who just walked in an urban environment versus those who walked in nature. And those who walked in nature for just, I think it was 90 minutes, were twice as creative and they had much more inspiring ideas 
and were much less stressed compared to the people that walked in the urban environment. So there are specific benefits to walking in nature versus just walking in general, though all movement is good for us and all movement is medicine. So you're very lucky to have this on your doorstep. Likewise, where I live, there's so many beauty spots, be it the sea or the cliff path or the, the woods. It depends on what you have. Your local park, is, is that enough? Absolutely, because, you know, if you can get into your local park, look around you, you know, put your mobile phone on silent, take off your headphones, you know, gravitate away from the busyness of everyday life towards the stillness of nature. Look at the wonderful fractal patterns in the trees. Um, you know, the retina, which takes in the light at the back of your eye, it's hardwired to identify fractal patterns. And they resonate with a sense of calm, with a sense of safety, with a sense of security. So look at the fractal patterns, look at the patterns in the clouds. There might be some beautiful flowers or plants you can look at. Pay attention to what you can hear. I'm listening to the birds singing right now as we're doing this interview. You might hear the wind rustling in the leaves, the crunch of your feet underfoot. Uh, how do you feel? What can you smell? How, you know, what's your sense in this moment? So, you know, forest therapy is such a simple idea and the best ideas are the simplest. It's really allowing yourself to be fully present in the natural world and to become the observer of what you observe, become the noticer of what you notice, being present and gifting presence to yourself. And it's a wonderful way to be in the world, in a world where there's so much busyness and so much noise and so much toxic stress. Just gifting yourself a few moments of stillness, a few moments of presence. As we said earlier on, one step, one breath, one day at a time. And look, it's great to have a, a problem in your head or an issue and to go and walk and kind of mm. find a solution or ponder over something. But you talk about really being present instead of thinking I should be there but I'm here really just mm. be there so even during the walk taking a moment to take 10 deep breaths to stop and notice what's around you that's what we're looking for you know one of the greatest things we can do is to slow down our breathing and of course we all breathe it's an automatic brain function but when you slow your breath down to four or five breaths in a minute you dampen down the stress response you quieten and calm the amygdala in the brain you ground yourself in presence you build that sense of mindful awareness and you just feel more alive more present in the moment so let's do it now because there's nothing like learning by doing yeah here we are with microphones in the middle yeah. of the forest let's put this away dr mark rowe thank you very very much what kind of reaction and feedback did you get from the patients that you prescribed the the time in nature too it's like everything nothing is for everybody and i see all of the lifestyle medicine interventions as tools in the toolkit and different things work for different people at different times so there is no one size fits all but in my ex my experience i love spending time in nature and many patients do too dr mark rowe thank you very very much thank you I really did enjoy my time at Mount Congreve Gardens. If you are planning a trip to Waterford, if you're in the local area or planning to do so over the spring and summer, definitely put it on your list. And if you have a spot that you love to get out in nature here in Ireland, do let us know and I'll read it out on the show next week. Alive and kicking at newstalk.com. Alive and kicking. 
on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Jennifer Carroll found herself at a turning point when she left an abusive relationship, returned to Ireland from life in the UK with her baby son. She had neglected her health and her self-worth and was at a very low ebb, but she began taking small steps and documenting them on social media as Jen's journey. She's gained 125,000 followers, lost 12 stone and has written a book full of her recipes and her story. And she joins me in studio now. Jen, you're very welcome back. Thank you. Nice to see you again. It was 2019 when you came on the show before the whole world changed. And now here you are with your book. Was that ever on the horizon for you? Um, It was definitely something I had in my dreams, but not something I thought would actually happen. I had, when I started the Instagram page, was always kind of like, what's the end goal here? Like, what do you hope to do? And I just thought a book being that little bit more permanent would be a great way to get out to people the message I was trying to you know put out there and I post a lot of recipes on Instagram but you know it's very hard when you're scrolling through Instagram there's a certain recipe someone likes I kind of loved the idea of a book but I just never imagined I'd actually have a book and here it is Jen's journey um what was the process of writing it like for you the process was long it was a lot longer than I thought it would be and because I kind of go through my journey from childhood up to adulthood it was almost like journaling. There were times where it was kind of therapeutic, helpful, but there was times it was really, really hard. I think especially going through the editing back and forth so much, having to read through things, really hard things you've gone through are dark parts of your life and reading that, you know, every day for three months. That took its toll on me. I definitely did struggle a little bit. There were days where I just was like, I need to take a break. Like, can't read this chapter for another few weeks. But it was really... I feel like it was good for me to put it all out there from start to finish. Kind of not expose myself, but just show a more vulnerable side and share my journey from the beginning. And can you remind people what your sort of rock bottom moment was, what the kind of starting point was? I mean, they can listen back to the interview we did, but just to to remind people or somebody that might not have heard. Yeah, so when I struggled with my life or my weight my whole life and I was always kind of gradually, as I was getting older, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In my 20s was when I would have probably been at my heaviest weight. And then I was living in London, I was studying at college and then I got into a relationship When I was in the relationship after three years, I fell pregnant and my ex-partner at the time became abusive. So while I was pregnant, I went through the pregnancy and the first year of my son's life in this really violent relationship. And I got myself out of it. So I got us out of the relationship. I was living on my own in London and I was just very alone, isolated and alone. And I knew that what I wanted to do was to get us home safe, but that's quite a long, complicated process. And I think there was times where I just, I never thought it would happen. I had this like boy who was about to turn one. He was, you know, starting to walk. He was becoming active. I was over 25 stone. I kind of just didn't see any hope for myself. I just was like, this is my life. Like, how can you go from 25 stone to, you know, a normal healthy body? I just didn't even think it was possible. And I almost accepted it, you know, this is it. I'm just going to stay here. It's just the two of us. And I think that was the lowest I'd ever gotten. And then I think just by speaking to friends and kind of making, just changing my mindset that I'm going to go home, you know, start a new life for the two of us. I'm going to be his only parent, you know, he he deserves better. I want to be better for him. And that was kind of slowly but gradually where I went from. 
And it's so important, the mindset, isn't it? Because yeah. I bet you there was part of you felt that you were failing, that you were 100%. coming home from your time in London yeah. to live with your family again. And instead, that was a major success yeah. beginning, you know, and that was huge. That was the strongest you'd ever been, not, yeah. you know... It's it's not a failure. No, it's not. But I did. I definitely felt like a failure. I mean, I was 29 when I moved home. I'd lived in London for almost 10 years. So I hadn't lived with my parents. They also hadn't lived with me for 10 years. And then I'm rocking up on their doorstep, you know, unemployed with a two-year-old, 29, no aspirations, no idea what I was doing. And completely, like, I was really broken and depressed at that time because of what I'd been through the previous years. So it was... A huge thing for my mum and dad, you know, taking us both on. That was all they wanted to do. But I definitely felt like, you know, I'm hitting 30. I'm like, what have I to show? Felt like a complete failure, but it was the best thing I ever did. And like having that support and like being able to be in an environment where I could grow and change my mindset and become more positive that over time. Like, I mean, I'm still living with them (laughs) five years later and I'm still there. But it's helped me grow and it's become such a positive thing as well. Yeah. And I think that's just a really important message to get out there. It's okay for us to lean on support and it's not a weakness. It's actually a really big strength. So that was obviously the time it was difficult to revisit and, you know, get out photographs and remember who you were then. But is there a real positive in seeing how far you've come in five years? Definitely. I mean, I think sometimes I forget how far I've come and I sometimes forget like even the person that I was because my mindset was so different for so long. Like I lived in that mindset. I lived in that body for like almost 30 years. And even now I I do find like I work on my mindset a lot, but I still, like I'm only 33. So for most of my life, I thought a certain way. I felt a certain way about myself. And it's been really hard to kind of, I think people think, you know, you lose all this weight, you're training, you feel great that you just wake up and you love yourself, you know, but it's not like, it's been a long journey I think, getting to this point, but I'm still working on it. Like, I know I still have far to go, but it's, you know, obviously the best thing I ever did. (laughs) And it's so much more than just the weight. And I think that's really comes through in your story. It comes through in the book. It comes through on your, your social media that, yes, you've lost weight, but it was really about gaining more self-love and self-worth. Definitely. I mean, like I said, working on my mindset has been hard but the weight, the weight loss was difficult, but probably the easiest part of the journey. You know, like I've gained a whole new life, not only for me, but for my boy Carter as well. You know, my weight held me back so much that I knew it would have a massive impact on his life. He wouldn't have the life he has now had I, you know, stayed the way I was. It was getting to a point as well where it was affecting my health. And that was concerning. You know, my weight definitely was, I was very overweight, but it's definitely kind of the mindset, the new life, you know, little things. I always say this and it sounds silly, but I remember when Carter was two and I moved back to Ireland, we went down to the park and I went on a bike ride with him. You know, like th- like little things like that, playing football with him, running around. I'm like, I wouldn't have been able to do all of that stuff previously because of the way that I was. And I think it's a really important conversation to have because even since we've met before in, in, in 2019, when you came in, um, since you started Jen's journey online, There's been a whole lot more discussion around diet culture, around body positivity. And it's not that you're not, you know, on that bandwagon too and and interested in in sharing that message. But how do you navigate between that, talking about weight loss in a healthy way when people are kind of 
bringing a backlash to calorie counting and weight yeah. loss. It's definitely a fine line and I have, like I've spoken about before on my Instagram, people nowadays, it's hard to even talk about, you know, struggling with your weight or I'd like to lose a stone. You kind of straight away, people will jump on you. You know, you shouldn't be thought, putting that message out. And I do understand that. But I think a lot of times people don't understand when they're given these opinions, like you've never lived as someone who's been almost 30 stone. And I think with me, like I've spoken to my trainer about it before, when it comes to calorie counting, sometimes people might say, you know, that's triggering or it's not a healthy message to be putting out there. But for me, I just see calories as a tool. Like, you know, I lived a long time where I just ate what I wanted. I didn't think of calories. I just consumed probably three to 4,000 a day and that was just a normal day for me. But kind of having that little bit more of education, using my calories as a tool, it just helps me to be able to maintain a healthy lifestyle. I don't get obsessed with it. If I want to have a day where I want to eat what I want to eat and I don't want to track, that's absolutely fine. But if there's, you know, I'm doing a training program or I have some goals or I want to, you know, just feel a bit better on myself and I want to drop a bit of weight, I don't see that as a negative thing. I obviously understand, you know, people can obsess and there's certain messages people might put out put out there when they're talking about having to lose weight or wanting to lose weight for wrong reasons or the message can come across quite bad but I do think people are very quick to jump on you now when you mention calories or weight so it definitely is hard I think on social media to navigate through that. Yeah I'm sure and you know there is so much of an important message with us accepting who we are and where we are but if you had a stayed where you were and who you were when you were 25 stone, would that have been the right thing to do for yeah. you, for your son? I, I don't I don't think so no. by the sound of things because you were low and you weren't taking care of yourself. Exactly. It's not about what size is on your clothes. It's about how you feel yeah. about yourself and, and what you're putting in to yourself and your life. And I was gradually getting bigger and I had no respect for my body you know I wasn't treating it the way I should have treated it and I remember when I did I've had the skin removal surgery and I got a good bit of not a lot of backlash but some opinions from people you know you should invest the money that you're spending on skin removal surgery into therapy and you know learn to love yourself and I'm like I am learning to love myself but it's okay to also not like the excess skin that's on my stomach you know I can love myself but want to get rid of something because it makes me feel better or makes me feel confident and I think that's important like you can still love yourself but want to change certain things it's like changing your hair colour like it doesn't mean you don't love whatever hair colour area you might just want to change it for a while I think people forget that as well that you can love yourself but also want to change things and how have you adapted then on social media to how you take on that kind of responsibility or that questioning of yourself how do you how do you manage that I think I'm like I always say like it's probably a bad thing to say but I'm fairly lucky that I don't get a massive amount of backlash but when I do I think I just address it and I'm just really honest about it you know I'm not perfect I'm not a nutritionist I'm not you know an educator so I'm just being really honest sharing my journey and if someone finds offence in it you know I'll try to have a conversation with them I think certain times there's certain people where they don't want to have a conversation they just want to give their opinion but I think just by being honest about it and you know sharing everyone's journey is different and like what I've been through what my body has been through I'm going to you know navigate my way differently to how someone else would that maybe doesn't need to lose weight or has never been overweight or struggled so it's all like it's not just black and white I think when it comes to these kind of things And you really promote a joy of food and to enjoy eating and that's not 
something that's associated with weight loss. We have this idea that it has to be restricting and it has to be really bland and boring. And I think that's a really important part of your message. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love food. I still love food. You know, it's I still do be excited thinking what I'm having for dinner today. And when I think think of food, like, you know, gatherings like family around Christmas time I remember you know speaking to people over Christmas on Instagram and they have that constant worry you know like oh I'm dreading Christmas dinner and like I always go overboard and I hate that as well because I'm like just enjoy it like how many times a year does your whole family sit around the table and eat and drink until you feel sick like it's not something that happens every day like of course everything in moderation and I'm all about balance but I still love food and that's why in the cookbook although my kind of main goal was to keep it as as simple as possible and kind of you know the high protein low calorie nutritious I still want to make the food nice you know like I'm not I've never been a salmon rice and broccoli kind of girl I never will be that so I wanted to make sure that you know include foods that the whole family can sit down they can cook together they can enjoy together and it's not miserable bland diet food (laughs) and how do you feel about yourself now five years on from from taking that first step I definitely feel much more confident myself. I feel better. You know, I'm a million times happier to the person I am. And it's not often I would say it, but I, I, I am proud. You know, I'm proud of the work I've put in. Because like I said at the start, I sometimes forget the journey. Like I feel like I forget I was ever who I was before. So I am quite proud of what I've done, but I definitely, you know, it's an ongoing process. I definitely struggle still with certain things. You know, I'm my worst thing is I can be quite, you know, negative with my self-talk. So working on that is definitely, I think, this the part of the journey I'm on now, like learning to love myself as much as I can. But I don't know if I'll ever get there. I feel like everyone is a little bit like that. Totally. And I think that's what's so important. We keep selling this message as if people get fixed and you're yeah. just one thing and Wake then all of a sudden day, everything yeah. is amazing. Whereas you're still on yeah. Jen's journey. Exactly. And, and thank you for sharing it. I, I think it's yeah. a really special thing that you do. And I'm sure for every message you get questioning what you're doing sometimes, which sometimes is important. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've loads of people who you've really helped. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure you have. And this book will also make a lot of difference to a lot of people even if they start with just one meal change a week so it is called Jen's Journey the same name as um, Jen's Instagram page and Jen you're doing a book signing coming up Yes I'll be doing a book signing in my local shopping centre the Square Tala on April 2nd at 12 o'clock Ooh (laughs) I hope you have a queue through the shopping centre Jennifer Carroll thank you so much for coming on Thank you Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're very welcome back to Alive and Kicking. So we talked at the start of the show about how we've all lost an hour's sleep with the clock changes. But what if you're a parent of a baby who rarely sleeps, leading to almost a year without a full night's sleep? Well, that parent is Shauna O'Reilly and she joins me in studio now to tell us about her son Finn. And I'm also joined by Heather Dent, also known as the Lullaby Lady, a sleep expert. You're both very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks a million. Uh, Sean, I think we'll start with you. Um, you and I have worked together on Breakfast Radio, yep. where you work again now. So you're getting up at all hours of the morning to go to work and you have a baby who doesn't like to sleep. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not compatible, this no. situation. Yeah, <laughs> An early start. I'm up at four uh, and Finn doesn't like sleep so it's hard yeah. Well look he is a gorgeous baby yeah. I've met him in the flesh yeah. and thank God he is cute but has this always been the case? Yeah he's never been a good sleeper since the start and I was um, afraid of, of this from the very beginning because I worried that I would 
not get the hang of the sleep thing and that it would become an issue and it has become an issue. Uh, he's just always been really unsettled. He had reflux, silent reflux from, from birth and that meant he was screaming all night for months and and never, just never settled. And thankfully, the reflux has kind of worked itself out. We were on medication for that and that has definitely improved and I think it's gone and we can say goodbye and good luck to those days. But uh, the sleep has, as a result, it's just still very unsettled. I breastfed and I think that has probably impacted the sleep as well because he was a bit of a kind of a every now and again, every kind of snack, every kind of hour kind of a child. He wasn't a, he was never a child that would take a big feed and go for a big sleep either. So he was kind of a little nibble here and, and then a little sleep it was like naps, just little small naps all the way. And so it's never been, it's never been good. And what age is he now? He is going to be a year uh, on the 9th of April. So. A year of yeah. no sleep. You haven't had one full night's sleep Honestly, really. no. Like, no, we haven't. And I thought it was kind of, I thought it was just part of the package. But the more I talk to people, the more I hear that it is possible to have a, a good sleep every night. Now Finn is in the bed with us as well. So that's another issue. Like he had started off in the little co-sleeper beside us and then because of the reflux he couldn't be lying down so he used to sleep up on our chest. Then he became quite like a tactile baby who likes to be a touching or attached to us at all times. (laughs) So he would reach out his hand at night to make sure we're still beside him and if we're not there he's he'll wake up and he's very unsettled and you can even watch him when we do kind of sneak down every now and again to the sitting room at night we might get a little hour on our own before we go to bed and you see him on the monitor reaching out his hand and you're going here we go he's reaching out his hand he can't feel us and he's going where are you and he sits up and he's awake then so and obviously look that's really sweet to watch and (laughs) see but you need your own life like what kind of impact is it having on you and your partner Chris we're just wrecked we're wrecked and then there's crabbiness as well and I remember you at the very start uh, when I had Finn uh, Claire gave me a piece of advice which was the the words that you utter to your partner between twelve and twelve a.m. and six a.m. just don't don't count because otherwise you'd be separated because there's rows every night. It's like it's yeah, it's your turn. Get up. It's my turn. I I always have to make the bottle. It's my just because it's on my side of the bed. It's not fair. I'm putting the bottle on your side of the bed, and it's just such stupid. But it's because we're ratty. We're tired. We're both working hard. We barely get any time on our own because we have to be beside him in the bed otherwise he doesn't settle so I'm generally just going to bed with him at night meaning Chris and I don't even get you know half an hour to sit down and watch The Apprentice or whatever you know we're just not getting that um, and it's just we're just always on the back foot because we're so tired and then you know I've started back to work then in January and I've been more strict on going to bed early and trying to get as much sleep as I can but I am zonked because he's a doesn't sleep well, so when he does eventually go to sleep, he's just jumping jack all night, just up and down, and he's still taking a couple of bottles, one sometimes two bottles at night. Um, so it's just a very disturbed night overall. And do you find yourself like going between? Oh no, it's fine. I'm a mom that allows co-sleeping, and I'm just gonna have my baby with me too. No, I need routine. I want this. <laughs> yes. You know, it's really hard, yeah. isn't it, with and all the parenting? It does definitely swing like on a daily basis. Like sometimes I was saying to Heather, 
uh, just before we came in. I, I, I've grown quite fond of having them in the bed. So at the start, it was like, this is an absolute joke. This is a joke. <laughs> and we can't keep keep on like this. And, and that is true. But then it's also lovely having him in the bed beside us and going, oh, look at him. And he's, he's kind of getting into a real snuggly little zone now. And it's lovely. And he'll cuddle up to us and all that. But at the end of the day, it's not sustainable for either Chris or I, you know, just to be able to function during the day. And I also think we're probably disrupting his sleep as well, mooching around ourselves in the bed. You know, every time I move, Finn's moving and, you know, it's all just, our bed is not that big and it's like a little water bed. Every time I move, he's moving, Chris is moving. Um, you know, it's just not, not working. Well, look, fair play to you. The reason I asked you to come on was because I know there's going to be so many parents who are going through the exact same thing That'll be like, okay, so what do we do? <laughs> so Heather, is this a very common setup that of people who come to you? Yeah, this is so common. And it's, I suppose, maybe 80% of the clients I work with are still feeding at um, maybe coming up to the year mark when it's not nutritionally needed. Um, and the co-sleeping is always always a big issue as well. Um I suppose my youngest had reflux as well. So I completely understand where Sean is coming from with needing to hold baby upright for a certain amount of months. And then you treat the root cause of the issue, which is the reflux and the babies are more settled. But then they love being in your arms and they love being held to sleep. And it's tackling the issue then that is having them in the bed or holding them to sleep uh, once you've made them more comfortable with with the reflux. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the good news is it's all solvable. And uh, I have promised Shauna <laughs> that she is going to be sleeping really, really well very soon. So the little man is turning one shortly and that's our aim, that he's going to be sleeping through the night in his own cot, in his own room by his first birthday. And what's shocked me and my producer, and we're both mums, is yeah. that you think you can turn this around in two weeks. Absolutely, yeah. A year yeah, yeah. of life can be turned around in two weeks. Absolutely. Are you shocked by that, Shauna? I, I, I feel so happy and hopeful and I'm just like bring it on Heather let's do this No I'm so confident they're amazingly quick learners Um, I think we're going to tackle it from from a few um, different corners definitely his daytime routine needs to be tweaked so that's probably leading a little bit of nap imbalance there and nap timings which we've chatted about and um, I've spoken to Shauna about her own routine and when she picks him up from childcare and how we can best work her family's schedule around a routine that's suitable for his age so I wouldn't just give out generic routines baby needs to sleep between one and three. People have school runs. People are picking up from childcare. So yes, we need to go in line with um, his biological nap times. He can't just have random naps at 4pm, danger naps as people call them. But we also need to do what works for the family. So We've come up with a schedule that works for Shauna and uh, allows her to spend uh, some quality time with him in the afternoon. Um, we're also going to set him up for success. He's 12 months. He's still on two naps. He's going to be dropping to one nap shortly, um, you know, in the next maybe three months. So we're going to kind of prepare for that. We are going to put him in his own room and he's going to be sleeping soundly because I'm sure he is being disturbed with with three people being in the bed. So we need to teach him to fall asleep independently at the start of the night. That is the absolute um, crux of the issue. When he wakes during the night, he hasn't put himself to sleep, so he doesn't know how to go back to sleep. So there's a lot going on at the moment, a lot of holding, a lot of bottles, a lot of cuddles. So we are going to use... A method that's very gentle, high parental involvement. We're going to be with them the whole time. He may not be happy. There might be a few tears. Can promise no crying, but 
either mum or dad will be there. We'll be shushing. We'll be patting. We will have set him up for success with wake periods. We'll know he's tired enough. We'll know he's well fed. We'll know he's warm and we'll be with them. So we need to change the expectation then around what's going to happen at the start of the night. We're going to guide him through that. And over the course of probably about 10 nights, we'll withdraw the support very, very slowly at his pace so that you are putting him down to bed, giving him his little lovey, saying night, night and walking out. And that is where we're going to get Which to. is dream territory because <laughs> oh, no. it's you honestly... need that time. Yeah. yeah. Every night, I, was, I said mm-hmm. this to Heather, like every night is a battle. Every night it's bringing him up to bed and you just don't know. This bedtime could take 20 minutes. The anxiety if he's over what's going to happen yeah. at bedtime is and huge it, for parents. It could go on for three hours. Yeah. We could be still there floating around, you know, trying to get him to sleep because he, he will struggle to go asleep mm-hmm. in the first place as well. Mm-hmm. So... Because there's too much going on. It's At 12 months, it's too stimulating. He's in the room. He's the complete freedom of the bed. Parents are there. We also discussed he has hit a huge milestone. He's starting to walk. Yep. So he could decide now when both of you potentially are asleep to get up and crawl out of the bed or, you know, climb out or whatever. He's very mobile now. So it's definitely a safety issue. Yep. And actually, for some parents, it was really interesting what you were saying um, earlier. Is it too late to put him in a cot? He's a year. Should we go straight to a floor bed? bed, what should we do? And I was saying that really until a child is three, they should be in a cot because they don't have the impulse control until then to wake up and go, I'm supposed to stay in my bed. I'm going to be really good and keep my little legs in the bed. They just get up. It's they're not being pulled or anything. They just get up and run out of the bed. And next thing you know, the little eyes are looking at you. I've just transitioned my nearly three-year-old, she's three and a month, to a bed. And I've put a stair gate on the door. Wow. Um, and it's been brilliant because she tried it a few nights and got to the gate and went, well, this is a bit boring. I'm just going to get back yeah. to bed. So that's that's just another little tip when you get to that stage. So can we talk about the pain part? Because I mean, I'm mm. glad to see Sean is like celebrating away over here. Here about yeah. the freedom and like them all getting a good yes, night's sleep, yes, all three. Yes. Of course, that's what we're all here for. Mm-hmm. But how much crying is there, is there going to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's very, very child dependent. And, you know, I would say on the first night, you should be prepared not to give up on tears after 20 or 30 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. It could be 40 or 45 minutes. I wouldn't think it would be more than that. And I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of families. And, you know, on average, people tend to do one of the methods for about 15 minutes if they're going it alone and go, oh, this is too much crying. This is 15 minutes. Oh, my goodness. They've been, you know, crying for 15 or 20 minutes. I tend to see when you just get past that 15 or 20 minute mark, if you've all your timings correct during the day and you know the sleep pressure is there, really around that 30 or 40 minute mark, and it could be far less. It could be 10 or 15 minutes. We don't know until we start. But really at that 30 or 40 minute mark, it can be very normal on the first night. And what's happening? Are you going in and out? Or are no. you talking sitting outside the door for no. 40 minutes and is, crying? I'd be demanding. No, yeah. no, that is a method. That would be the time checks method. I wouldn't recommend that for Finn because he has been in a bed with the parent. He would be so afraid if you plonked him in a cot and left the room. He's That's never happened. So we'll be using a stay and support method, the chair method I'm suggesting. So... The chair method is when you put the chair beside the cot and you stay right beside him. So you put him in and you replace the hand holding and the sitting beside him in the bed with the hand holding and the shushing and the patting and that touch that he needs at the moment, but he's in the cot. So you familiarise him with his new surroundings and you're there, but he's not going to be coming out of that cot. Okay, he needs to know this is where he sleeps now. After about two or three nights, 
there may be no crying or there may be 10 minutes of fussing or he gives out a little bit when he goes in because he knows, well, I have to sleep in this thing and I still might prefer to be in the bed, but it'll be minimal and you'll still be there. And when we see his sleep skills develop and when Shauna is texting me, maybe on night three or night four going, I was sitting beside the cot. He was happy out going down. He looked for me a few times, but I didn't need to do much patting. I'll say, great, tomorrow night, let's stay in the room, but let's move the chair to right beside the door. So you're still in the room. He knows you're there. Maybe a bit of verbal reassurance like shushing or humming because he does like, you know, music. Yeah. Um, but we won't be touching him. So that'll be another step in the right direction. And when he's going down and not popping his little head up maybe in the cot and looking for you and he's he's familiar with the surroundings and he's comfortable in his room, we will then try to put him down and leave the room. So it's a very gradual process. However, when he wakes, and he will wake many times during maybe the first and second night, whoever's deciding to do this, maybe Chris, if you're getting up early, (laughs) we'll send in the dad, um, will need to go back to that chair. So if he wakes, you know, at 12 or 3, you go back to the chair, you go back to wherever you were at the start of the night and you would need to do the whole process again of settling him and getting back to sleep. So this is why it's two weeks. I mean, you couldn't do months of this. No. This would be worse. You'd just be like, get back into the bed. But in two weeks, it'll start to get better and easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Huge improvements. Really, uh, after three or four nights, there'll be huge improvements. He may not be sleeping straight 11 hours, but he may be. I mean, I just love when people are texting me after three or four nights going, oh my God, it's it's true. Like what you said would happen has happened because nobody believes me (laughs) at the initial consultations. But it is, they are so capable of as quick as they can get into the bad habits yeah. and and you can see how quickly a bottle can creep in or popping them into the bed after three or four nights the expectation is there the good habits can happen as well yeah so how is Chris about all this does he think this is another mad radio idea no. or is he on <laughs> no, board he's very on board <laughs> because we've both reached the point of just pure desperation mm-hmm. and that's why I mean Heather what you're saying there just sounds like sweet manna mm-hmm. from heaven it's mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. if this can work this is going to change mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. lives and mm-hmm. I you know and we're totally committed to mm-hmm. making it work and that's doing, really important yeah. the commitment has to be there because it is hard work yeah. Yeah. yeah and two people on the same page absolutely and that's and why that's, it's good when you have yeah. a sleep expert because mm-hmm. You're both going with Heather's advice rather than something your friend said or something Chris read online and you're trying one thing one day and one thing the next. Consistency is key. The one plan. The one plan, you have it printed out, you're both on board or a childminder's on board with a new routine or granny's on board if granny's minding. You know, grannies often don't want to wake from naps, don't ever wake a sleeping baby. Always wake a sleeping baby, (laughs) stick to the routine. So, you know, we have to have everyone on board and uh, myself and Sean and Chris will be on a WhatsApp group for two weeks and we'll be liaising daily what worked the night before, what didn't work, you know, um, how are things improving with Finn. We also have to tackle dropping the night feeds um, as well, which is another thing we're going to do um, because he doesn't need them. He's a fantastic eater, but he wants them. Um, And he's using it as kind of a higher level of soothing. If the touch isn't working well, he's going to have a lovely big warm milky bottle and uh, nod back off there for a few hours. Finn, how is Finn going to be, Shauna, do you think? Do you know what? I don't know. I... I actually think he's a baby that likes sleep once he just needs a bit of help to get there. But he needs a lot of help. But I I, I hope that once he sees uh, how lovely it is to be yeah. sound asleep in your lovely, lovely cot, that he will be fine with it. I 
didn't like the idea of him roaring, crying, and I hated the idea of having to like close the door mm-hmm. and walk away from him. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad that Heather has this other option where I can be with him because it would actually like break my heart if I had to walk away because they're crying. Oh. If I had to walk away and he was roaring, like I just I wouldn't have the I wouldn't have it in me to do that. Yeah. Um, so this is so brilliant to be able to know that I can sit beside him, keep an eye on him to make sure he's not working himself into a tizzy. Mm. If he, you know, if he or is standing, because yes. he's at that stage. You yes. Know? Yeah. yeah. So um, I think if if we just have to be, I suppose Chris and I are going to have to be, Chris is definitely of a stronger resolve than I am. And I think I'll need his support on this to go, you know, we have to stick with this and not just resort to, Oh, just throw, just get him into the bed, quick! Get him into the bed. You know, I, I, but I think it, uh, this we're 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 very committed to it. So yeah. hopefully, no, I, I'm being like triggered back to doing it with my own kids and yeah. like sitting on the bed and crying yeah. and you know whatever way we were doing it, there was whatever stage we were at, there was leaving the room and yeah. then going back into mm-hmm. the room and you know will we just go in? Will we just play? Know. You know, yeah. and all that and just yeah. the two of you just as a team together. Mm. You will get through it. Will you come back and tell us oh, how you got on? I would love to come back. I would love to come back. Watch, the, see my my under eye circles <laughs> right now. Okay, measure them now, and let's have a look at them when I come back. Yeah. Hopefully, they'll be much reduced. Amazing. Well, you'll find Heather Dent on Instagram. She's at lullaby the lullaby lady or the lullaby lady dot ie. Shauna, Chris, Finn, Godspeed. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. And if you're a parent or a caregiver who struggles with a child who doesn't sleep or you have any sort of sleep issue, you can email it into us, aliveandkicking at newstalk.com and I'll read it out on next week's show. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to all my guests, to my producer Aoife Breen and Hugo De Silva Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. You've been listening to the podcast of Alive and Kicking, which is broadcast on News Talk on Sunday mornings. 